Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is The Flowcast. Today's episode of The Flowcast features one of the most passionate, impactful, and successful coaches in the world, Mike Way. Mike Way is currently the head coach of the men's and women's squash team at Harvard University. Mike has held this prestigious role for 10 years and has led his players in achieving some incredible results. Most recently, with the Crimson completing its fifth straight undefeated season en route to its sixth consecutive national championship trophy. And on top of that, improving its CSA winning streak record to an outstanding 83 matches. Prior to his coaching journey at Harvard, Mike was based in Toronto where he headed up the national squash program where he also coached former world champion Jonathan Power and other Canadian greats in Graham Riding, Shahir Razik, Marnie Riding, Melanie Jans, and many more. His influence on the sport goes deeper than the results produced by his players. The influence he has had on athletes off the court is also prevalent and arguably his most impressive part of the ongoing legacy he is creating. Mike is an avid kiteboarder and guitarist and is always on the hunt to learn more and more. He personally has had a major impact on my life and never fails to leave you better than when he found you in all interactions. This episode has been broken into two parts and is extremely insightful. I'm sure no matter what your background is, the lessons in these two episodes will add a lot of impact to your life. If you do gain some value out of the episode, it will go a long way in helping us reach more people by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast provider. If you'd like to know more about Flow, please subscribe to our website, inspiredpeakperformance.com, where we will have some exciting announcements coming up about our flow programs for coaches and leaders in high stressful environments, not to mention our athlete flow program. Now here we go with the legend himself, Mike Way. So, which is which is quite different, as you said, because in squash or sporting environment where there is there are wins and losses, uh, there's bad days and good days, there's people watching. The social pressure risk um, that that wave is so much more up and down and and, um, and hard to recognize where it's going to land each day. So how do you what do you implement with your with your players and your program to help them ride that wave so that they can manage the goods and the bads to be able to sort of make sense of it all to stay consistent, to show up with that level of commitment day in, day out, even if they're on the high from the from the great match on the weekend, or if they're on the low from the bad match on the weekend, or the training session, or the bad exam, or whatever it is. What is what's a framework that you provide your players with to to deal with that? Um I don't know <clears throat> that we have a framework beyond the understanding that when you compete, I mean, if you think of competitive sport, competitive sport is really about rebounding 
from failures, right? So you have X amount of success, <clears throat> but unless you're Jahangir Khan for those five years when he was unbeatable, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with failure and it's all about rebounding from failure. So, so you know, the, the athletes, I mean, the, the way to deal with them it really comes down to how you handle the reviews. And um, uh, again, it's the buy-in factor and then breaking it down. <clears throat> so for, for our uh, purposes here, you know, into the, the, the technical, the tactical, the physical, and then of course, most critically of all is, is what's allowing it to happen or not <clears throat> is the mental and being able to review and look at the whole with a level of maturity. And, and it's again, so the maturity <clears throat> really allows young people to reflect and to review. And then you plan and you repeat the program. That maturity, I'm not just about, you know, as we understand the word, but I'm talking about athletic maturity uh, and the character components that you would do in your foundation mindset. <clears throat> but one of the ways we do it at Harvard, which and you and I have spoken briefly about this before. So when you're talking about flow, and I give you that description of kiteboarding, and then <clears throat> you give me the biological response, which is fascinating to me. And I can totally tune in to what you're saying. I'm believing what you're saying. <clears throat> but when I said that maybe there were some disagreements to do with when people keep saying, you know, you hear it from some psychologists and from coaches, oh, you've got to learn to get in the zone. So the zone is that magic state, which might be the state that you're talking about. But when you mentioned it um, uh, a few minutes ago, uh, where often the zone state athletically happens accidentally. So we, we call them happy accidents. <clears throat> um, that's more an elusive part of the zone. So mm -hmm. but what, where I think they're overlapping is here. So I'm going to give you this des description, which might explain it. So I tell my guys, <clears throat> so you know this, and everyone listening to this, anyone that's, that's competed will understand this. <clears throat> if you play somebody who is better than you in a sport, you compete with someone better than you in a sport, you will be more excited to play with them than someone who is just below you. Now, if they're much better than you, you may have nervous energy inside where there's a lot of thinking going on um, to do with whether you're going to be embarrassed or not. But if the player is just above you, <clears throat> then there's no losing face if you lose. So expectation is not as high. Oh, I'm playing pricey. Well, he's better than me, but we had a great match last time. <clears throat> I have a bit of a chance here. So I refer to those moments as arrow up moments. <clears throat> You're challenging someone above you. You are free to play. And the zone that can be hit using your definition, your definition, the flow state rather, <clears throat> can be hit because that is almost like uh, the purity of the love of the sport. It's like when you play a practice match. You're in a tournament, but you're playing it like it was a practice match because the guys seated ranked higher than you. You're not expected to win. You are free to play, baby. And those athletes will move better. The biomechanics are working better. They have less fear. They, in our sport, they step up, they volley a bit more, they take their opportunities. 
and they really enjoy and they relish these moments because they feel this physical response in which you're saying mental responses and it's the, in, the pure enjoyment of the sport and the movement. So I call those arrow up experiences. <clears throat> the guy above has the arrow down experience. So you're playing me, you say, well, I beat Mike last time, but <clears throat> it was a tough match. I need to be careful, okay? So you have a little bit of caution because expectation is on your shoulders. You've got to preserve a position and you're not as free to play because the ramifications are greater for you than they are for me. So I call those arrow down experiences. So in our program, we actually look at and talk and teach about the arrow up mindset versus the arrow down mindset. And I try and get my guys to embrace the arrow down mindset. So I tell them that the guys at the top in the world who are still chasing ranking points and tournaments and so on. But when they're in a tournament, <clears throat> when you see Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, um, when they're playing at the very, very top, the goal is to release all the arrows. I call them arrows of doubt. And you get them out of your mindset. So in other words, you free yourself up to play. So if you have an athlete who's free to play because he's got rid of his arrows, it doesn't mean that the arrow up athlete isn't still coming at you. But the understanding is from the arrow down is that the arrow up athlete will not endure. And the reason he doesn't endure is because they get satisfied through playing well, getting X number of points, maybe poaching a game. And inside the voice goes, ah, hey, you're playing pretty good today, aren't you, sunshine? Good for you. So they have this satisfaction and ever so slightly the foot comes off the gas. Now, inexperienced arrow down, he will still be fraught with nervous energy. He may actually <clears throat> compound the problem by not, in our sport, not bowling enough, not taking his attacking opportunities. He's going to be more argumentative. He might be an obnoxious player on the day. And he will definitely not be playing with his A plus game. It'll be a B plus, A minus B plus game at best. He, as you know, using an old term, he is playing to not lose. Yeah. Arrow up is playing to win, but he's actually not expecting to win. He's hopeful, but he takes his foot off. The experienced athlete recognizes and understands these arrows and they have left him. And I do believe I do believe that the very best, and these are all, all older athletes. Now, you could say that's relative to the sport when you start. In gymnastics, you know, if you're in women's gymnastics at 2021, 20, you are an older athlete. <clears throat> so it's a relative term. But this happens with many, many older athletes when ranking points drop away out of their thinking. Uh, maybe the ego is in a better place there's more acceptance of the challenge and they go about their business in a different way. They've learned a lot about themselves, about mental programs. They feel their way to their mindset as opposed to think their way to a mindset and yeah. things come more readily. So when I think of, you know, your term flow, 
I think of the flow of kiteboarding with utmost freedom. I think of rhythm, whether it comes from music, slowing down the metronome, slowing down your drives and our sport as you learn and your body feels the rhythm. You hit a technical flow. The ball sounds better. The body feels better because it loves the flow. I'm enjoying that. And the elusive one for me is the one <clears throat> that many coaches and psychologists talk about and some athletes, which is the elusive zone of being free to play. So excuse the long answer again, but I would say that the very best and the elite are hitting that state, but I can't know that because I have not been them. But on observing um, and talking to them and, and being careful about watching, you know, you can see things like eyeball control, facial expression, body <clears throat> after losing points. So you, can, you can't hear their self-talk, but you can imagine you can, you can feel it. So do I think there are states, and I just think that maybe some at the very, very top probably just haven't really spoken about it because the vocabulary hasn't been there necessary to express it. But do we see it coming out of Steph Curry, LeBron James, and of course, uh, Michael Jordan, absolutely, <clears throat> amongst many, many others. And some people never never really put it on display and you wonder whether or what state they've actually found or were they able to find and fall into so it's a it's a look it's a fascinating thing is it not it's a fascinating yeah. but anyway, yeah, i just want to be back on these arrows thing because because part of that and i lost my point was to say that we do teach our guys to have this recognition i i believe a lot in in the <clears throat> awareness is is simply one of the greatest agents uh, that you, you can give people to change something and this higher awareness will help them understand when the oh my god voice in their head is starting to dominate and they want to turn the volume down but sorry over to you over to you yeah no, that, that, that's a, a really potent way to, to describe that arrow up arrow down that's one of my favorite things that you've spoken about um over the last little while in our conversations and it really does identify so i relate that to what they call the challenge skills balance within the flow of science world where the challenge is too high there's too much anxiety for you to be able to perform at your best uh, and if the challenge is too low potentially it can also be you can also get bored so you know if you're playing against somebody that you you're comfortable winning it's very hard for you to get into that flow state or that peak performance state because the challenge is not there either but also but if that challenge is about right there's a flow channel through the middle of that they call the sweet spot um and that kind of includes where you're playing those players that are about the same level maybe a bit better or it's slightly underneath um that's where that flow channel exists because again You've got that heightened sense of nervousness, that fear, that neuroconnection, that focusing chemical comes into play, the excitement around it, so your dopamine, and then your other neurochemicals in the back of that. But but flow is also on a spectrum. So it's not like you're either in the zone or you're out of the zone. There's a, there's a spectrum of it. So there's, there's micro moments of flow, macro moments of flow. And you've seen some players where they come out of the gates and they play so well in the first game, blow it away, and then 
they're gone. Like they, they lose next three, like they weren't even there. <clears throat> and uh, so it's fleeting. It is elusive. Um, and understanding the neurochemistry behind it and how to trigger those things through the flow triggers um, can get you closer or, or prepared to feel your brain to drop into that state when it comes time to perform. Um, but I think you nailed it around that there's never really been a language around that performance state to really describe it, which is why I'm really interested in asking people, you know, what do you feel when you, when you, when you experience that moment of flow in your own words? Uh, because it's, it's subtly different all the time. And, and everyone kind of, you can see everyone just start looking at them in the air for the answer of what it is. Because it is fleeting, it's elusive. But it is trainable and teachable. And, and that's kind of where I'm interested in taking my work is helping people tap into those moments or come closer to them on that spectrum so that they're experiencing some level of micro or macro flow and then getting better at finding what is your peak performance state feel like because Mike's peak performance state is different to mine and so is Ali Farad's and so is uh, Amanda Sobeys and so is you know, Victor Kroon. But it's finding out what triggers those peak moments or peak states of performance that triggers their neurochemistry to come into play to focus and it's different for everybody and it's as elusive as it is it's as, as different for each individual person so it's finding those things that can help people get to the edge of it and then hopefully the action the action in the activity or the performance is what drops them into that state as you begin so you can get them to that edge and then hopefully that thing. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Like it just, it's, yeah. I mean, there's so many variable factors around this. So, But I love the simplicity and the, and the way you describe the arrow, arrow down matches. You know, I'm going to do a presentation in front of a thousand people today talking about this thing I'm passionate about. That is a, that's an arrow up moment. Yeah. But I'm going to present the same information to my to my work colleagues, four of them, you know, and I do this every week, it's kind of almost like an arrow down moment. It requires a different mindset, it requires a different energy, and it, and it will in, intrinsically bring out a different um, version of me because of, yeah. is it exciting or is it boring? So it's, it's understanding that part as well and having little tools to, to manage those things. Because sometimes that thousand people presentation is too overwhelming for somebody. Yeah. So what do they do in that moment to bring themselves down in a calm state? And that's where your breath work, your meditation, visualization, uh, falling back on your systems that you develop under those stress, guided stressful moments that you talk about training people under, you will fall back to that. And you have mentioned somebody in the past, um, I think it's a psychologist that has a great quote for that you'll fall back onto your your weakest system or something along those lines, but or your foundation mindset. And um, so it's, it's improving that foundation mindset day in, day out, drip through. And the Navy SEALs have a saying, I'm not probably doing this justice, but you know, you don't rise to your level of expectations, you fall to the level of your training. Is, is That's I what think, I'm saying. If I'm doing that right, <clears throat> 
So a couple of things there, though, that just comes to mind. I think this is why it's important that Mendel programs um, are absolutely not a one size fits all. So they need to be broad. So when we're doing our mental training, I tell my guys <clears throat> that I'm going to be, you know, drip, drip, dripping our mental program over the next few months. <clears throat> and I want you to do all the training because you may understand it if I talk about it, but it's only through the doing that you actually get to know what works. So it's the doing, the experiencing at least of the knowing. And then when we get it to the second and third time round, then they start to cherry pick. So <clears throat> there's a couple of things here, if I may. So we have a challenge match with our guys. <clears throat> when we're in season, in, in early season, we have a challenge match every week. And the challenge match, so let's say the squad is about 14 to 16 guys, is to decide the order of play. <clears throat> the, the challenge, there's a, a hard ladder um, in the squash center. We post the results online. Um, there's always people watching <clears throat> and there's this level of stress. So every single week, our guys are faced with this arrow up, arrow down. <clears throat> I get past you on the ladder and I'm challenging above you, my arrow is up, I am free to play, I am enjoying the day. You just lost to me, your arrow is down, you're being challenged from below. Now what comes out of this <clears throat> rehearsal, is this constant rehearsal, are two things. Number one, the athletes, because I run them through a mental program each week. The mental programs, as I said, they are not long, people always think oh, it's gonna be a long program, no such thing as a long mental program when you're dealing with young people. You lose them. You lose them. you got to be entertaining. It's got to be short, succinct. It's got to have energy, passion, and you've got to use your vocabulary very careful and be very specific. So they learn to cherry pick what works. So I make them do everything a few times. Then they start to cherry pick what works for them, what type of visualizations uh, the alter ego effect, play like, be like, what type of scripting, what triggers, what anchors, words and phrases, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. So as I said uh, a little bit back, you know, we're doing a lot of thinking and we're trying to grow towards feeling. But what comes out of this is uh, the character components. So if you, here, here's a guy that we both know and love, <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Power. So <clears throat> Jonathan Power could hit a state, he could hit a state of play uh, that was, you know, other squash players would be in awe of. It would be like, wow. But his. I've seen it. You've seen it. Well, you've you felt it. You felt it. <laughs> Look at your. That, remember that arrow up match that you had with him and you had four or five match balls? Yeah. That match, I think it was in Toronto, but anyway, you played beautiful, beautiful that tournament. And I know you didn't want to be reminded of that because you're pissed off because you lost and you should have won. <clears throat> and Jonathan and Jonathan might and Jonathan might disagree with this, but I can tell you this: whenever he played somebody that he truly didn't like or respect, he really didn't play as well. Now you could say, well, that's true across the board, but I believe that Michael Jordan found a way to overcome that. No idea what's going inside his head, and we see it in other athletes. But I do think that this 
is not rare. So I'm not, I'm giving Jonathan as an example because we in our squash world all know him. <clears throat> and his best squash, actually playing wise, he could, whether he's hitting the zone as, as um, we were describing in sport or a flow, but his most beautiful squash for me was when he was on the court with someone where there was no animus between them. It happened a number of times with Peter Nickel. He didn't always, you know, Peter Nickel and him went back. I know what the score is. I think Peter might have edged him 35 to 34. I can't remember how many times they met. It was a ridiculous number. <clears throat> but you can see this statement. It was almost like Jonathan allowed himself to be free to play. Now, he could do it with other athletes, and he did it. Um, he hit those beautiful states with many athletes. Um, he would hit it with Shabana. But there were times when he couldn't because there were some character components there that you could say needed to be worked on. And this is why when I, when, when I look back as a younger coach, um, I couldn't have done a better job with him because I didn't know better. But if I was, if I was a, with hindsight, um, could he have been coached better? Yes, absolutely. By someone that had the tools greater and beyond what I had at the time to really speak to this. So, and of course it comes down to a level of buy-in, but you can, there were all sorts of athletes even around him who would still struggle with the arrow down scenarios. It's not to say that Graham or Shahir or Mel or Marnie didn't with those scenarios, they were, but they weren't quite the same. Um, and so in our program, what we see with our arrow down athletes is the, so, you know, we talk about sport building character. And as you and I well know, sport reveals character. So whatever, wherever the hole is in your mental program is gonna be exposed through an arrow down experience. But also if there's a hole in the character somewhere, lack of respect, lack of appreciation, lack of character, so something is gonna come up in that arrow down moment, and it's going to manifest itself in a way that is going to royally affect your performance. So, <clears throat> whereas years ago, I would have gone back to just, you know, looking at the tactics, basic mental stuff. Now, what happens in our program is more actually do this character component, and you have to go back and do your work in order to free the athlete up. Now, I'm a coach. I'm not a psychologist. I am not going deep in the cave. You understand that? <clears throat> if someone, if there's something clinical and someone needs help, okay, get your sports psychologist in, get a, uh, get a trained psychologist in there, or whatever help they need. But it's important for us, and we all know these things because it's just part of the, the human condition. Uh, we all know these things. We all know these frailties. We have them in ourselves. We're really just there's just a mirror going on, whether it's directly of you or someone you know or someone close, and you feel the experienced coach is feeling his way to find out what's going on. But that is a component. So I'm just addressing what you said earlier about you know being challenged and being just outside your comfort zone. I agree with it 100%. But if this if there's a character aspect that gets exposed and it is a block, it is a block to learning. It is a block to opening. It is an ego block or whatever it is. Yeah. Then that has to be addressed at some point. And I'm not saying that 
every coach is equipped and they're not not everyone is and that's why you know what they say you know it takes a a village to raise a kid well <laughs> holy shit maybe it takes a small town to raise some <laughs> of our more gifted athletes you know what i'm what i'm saying here no absolutely and i think i on reflection i can i can definitely attest to that um that that, that exposure as well at times that reveals part of your character that you don't know how to control or to utilize to your advantage which is some of the stuff i work with now with some of the younger players that i work with on the mental side of stuff and around slow but it's also that shadow side that ego side because it's a it's a powerful thing that can you know the, the shadow ego that i have it actually drove me to become one of the best players in the world at a certain point in time. Um, not because I wanted to win, it's because I was, my ego was chasing a certain validation or a certain thing that, you know, not to get deep and, and unpack a lot of stuff here, but that would have probably stems back from something in my early days as a child. And, as a, and it also is a basic humanistic need. So now, once you learn how to acknowledge it, befriend it, and go, okay, I know what I know what my ego needs, and it can be fed authentically or inauthentically. And knowing that difference is quite um, impactful. You know, how do I feed um, this ego's desire for a certain humanistic need um, in a way that's going to benefit me in in society and in my growth? And in my relationships and so on, or how I, do I continue to feed it reactionary, in particular when it gets exposed under high stress environments, high pressure, um, that isn't going to benefit me in the long term in my performance, relationships, you know, the, the hours beyond matches or whatever it is. So it's a really important part to to have work on. If there's, um, and we all have it, we all have that shadow and I think it's it's really important that it gets worked on or gets understood and, and managed well because it can be a really impactful driver to success or to performance or to anything. Um, you either it's either going to control you or you can control it. It takes work, it takes time, it takes effort and it takes a lot of unpacking and maybe it actually takes experience to really understand it to to have that awareness to go, maybe that character thing that you just described, maybe that actually needs to work on, needs to be worked on. Yeah. Um, and that's a drip fed journey as well. It's not just a. And it's, and it's not just whether, you know, um, how to feed it, because uh, I'm pro probably going outside of my territory with some of this uh, conversation, <clears throat> but it's whether it needs to be interrupted. Often it's, it's, it's uh, for me, I tell my kids, we, we need to step back from this. So we talk about steps. So part of the foundation is actually to step back. Let's just yeah. step back from our sport. Let's step back from our little world, our tiny, tiny little world of hitting a black ball in a white room. For God's sake, what is going on? So to bring some perspective. So whatever that is, whatever that interruption is, there needs to be doing that. But it's, it's just, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, what's the one commonality it, it, you would be hard pressed 
to hear any retired professional athlete say, or sorry, not say, if I was doing it all over again, <laughs> I would address the, the mental state earlier in their career. You, you never hear a proud you say, oh yeah, I did mentally. No, I was bang on right, right from the get-go. And I, and I got it, I got it in quotes here. I got it early. They never get it early. They never get it early. Now, <clears throat> tragically, some might get it at the very end of their career or after they retire. But that's really, <clears throat> that's where the good coach uh, comes in. The good teacher comes in because it's trying to find <clears throat> the right way to reach in order to teach your kids. And it's how do you get them there? And when, where do you start? And again, not just with your world-class athlete, you start right at the beginning with the little kids and you learn all your little skills. Um, and again, we're coming back to buy-in, right? But uh, there's an art, you know, I know there's a lot of science. You're talking about a lot of science here. There's a lot of science here, <clears throat> but there's a lot of gut feeling. <laughs> there's a lot of art. There's a lot of experience that goes into this and, yeah. and trying, to, <clears throat> trying to help your your student athletes navigate themselves out of a maze that they have they have created but they don't even know that they're in it <laughs> you know it's uh that is really where the art is and it's and there, and there is no quick there's no quick way out of the maze you know there just isn't but it's uh, <laughs> it's always entertaining and it's never ending <laughs> Is there, is there an exit? There is an exit point because in fact, so I would say to that, that the maze is actually not that high and they just got to look up a bit more. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> nice, nice. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, this has been this has been really fascinating. I know that we can uh, we can go on and on and on um, about this stuff for hours to come. But being mindful of time, um, I just want to uh, probably wrap it up in here with one more question. And actually, there might be two questions, but um, you know, why do you think? In my experience, and, and please, those athletes, and, and I guess we can talk more to the squash world and coaches. Why uh, why is the mental training generally the last thing to come? Like we, we train our body, yeah. We train our, our craft and our skills, but the mind stuff. Like, why does that not get the attention it deserves? Because we've all heard it. Like. When it gets to a certain point, it's 80% mental and 20% physical. Those old sayings like that. But yet, people are spending 90, 95% of the time on the physical craft, but really not spending the time on the mental, if they are at all. And it takes certain programs, certain coaches that are, have a heightened awareness and understanding of how impactful and important it is that embed it in their programs like yourself and many other great coaches. But there's so many out there that just let their, their young players kind of just go through it without and not need to understand themselves, but point in a direction to, to get that help and assistance to help develop that foundation and mindset 
that level of optimism there. Kind of, you know, like why is that not being at the forefront of progress? Why is that not the first thing to be looked at? Right. Well, <clears throat> first of all, it's a heck of a good question. So just my take would be my take would be this, and I actually think that there's a wind of change though. I actually think there's been a, a wind of change for 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 a while now, for a few years. But remember, you know that there's a certain rigidity around sport, and a lot of coaches uh, have grown up, and it's about X's and O's, right? So they've got a natural equation. You want to get fit, you're going to run around the track, you're going to do this, you're going to go stronger, you're going to go to the gym. And there's a natural equation to everything they do. You want to improve that backhand drive, your skills, you're going to hit a thousand backhand drives every day. Whatever it is, there's a natural equation to getting better. You've got natural equations in almost everything. You've got natural equations in your music. You want to, you want to learn these scales, you want to speed up your fingers, well, do this, this, and this. So... <clears throat> We have, we, 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 all of us have in us natural equations that have worked, that have worked. So we've got all this evidence. So I've got this, evidence. what are you going to do? Well, bloody hell, you're going to do this. And there's no denying that because they, these are essential ingredients into it. Mm. The very best teachers to me and the very best coaches. So I'll give you an example that we both know. <clears throat> Most of your listeners won't out there for sure. But if you think of Rob Brooks, in, in Toronto, Canada. What yeah. was it about Rob Brooks? You know, was, was Rob Brooks the best technical coach in Toronto? No. Was he the best technical coach? No. But what was he, what was Rob Brooks teaching his entire life through his way of being and expressing he was teaching character? So he's actually <clears throat> teaching. I always look at Rob and I think Rob was teaching the foundation mindset to nearly all the kids that came through his program. That's what he did. He wouldn't have perhaps expressed it that way, but observationally, that's what I felt that Rob was doing. Yeah. And I've uh, felt, you know, and here at Harvard, I can, I can tell you that, uh, and amongst the, the older coaches and the younger coaches, there is a wonderful and terrific curiosity about wanting to, so I'm in conversations, you know, we got 42 sports here, so I don't, I'm not hanging out with all the head coaches, <clears throat> but you end up with those coaches that you gravitate towards, whether you like their sport, they like your sport, and it could just be, you know, the fact that your, your office is next door to them, whatever, but there's a small group of coaches that I hang with, and we share all these ideas, so I've been witness to, over the years, um, a high level of awareness, greater conversations, broader conversations, and a greater sharing of ideas. So I think that this is actually gonna, it's gonna filter down and successful coaches now and more in the future, uh, that they are actually gonna have these components. Now, initially, if you're a young coach and you're coming into this, you do things by rote. So you regurgitate, you go on the, I'm gonna do my courses, I'm gonna go on this, blah, blah, blah. And you're not totally affected, but you learn, you learn the basics of it. You know, my assistant coaches, Luke and Hamid, um, I mean, they're just terrific young men. And what is it about them is they're just sponges for information. So when we do our mental programs, we're sharing ideas. I generally take the lead, but I get that they have opportunities and so on. So 
I think that we have this natural tendency or this tendency to follow a natural equation as coaches as to where success came from for us and where we are young. And it has all these components of X's and O's. And so there's a rigidity about that. But things are changing. Look at the greatest coaches that are recognized as the greatest coaches in soccer, football. So I'm using, I'm in America, so soccer right now. <clears throat> Pep Guardioli and, um, and Klopp at Liverpool. Um, Jurgen Klopp and when you listen to these guys talk about their craft and their teaching you go wow this is, these are people you want to hang on you want to listen to you want to you, you really want to listen to what they got to say not just about what they're not just about their x's and o's but because they're reaching people and we are more effective of course when we reach we reach and then we teach so I do think that's actually happening, but you're right. Historically, I agree with you 100%. But I feel the winds of change, and I, yeah. I think they're coming quite fast, actually. I think in sport, they're coming quite fast, and in teaching in general. You think the, uh, the, the sort of mental health <laughs> pandemic that's, that's sort of flooding the world at the moment and, and through sports and different things, the awareness around mental health, well-being is enhancing the need for that like is that do you think that's propelling that forward driving it going you know as head coaches as as people that are teaching and reaching other people younger people we yeah. have a responsibility to, to to improve performance but we also have that a heightened responsibility now to make sure that they're doing it with wellness they're doing it they're being taken care of emotionally and physically do you think that yeah. is a driving force that we're all becoming so much more aware of it? So do you think that is a, a catalyst for the change? Well, I'm not sure. I think it started before that. So might it be, might it be catapulted forward during this time? Yes, it absolutely might be. I, I mean, Harvard is a, is, is a wonderful place from the point of view of, uh, of health and wellness. And, um, there's always something going on there. If, if, if anything, you could say there's a burden of, 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 of too much information overload on it. But the fact is this, as coaches, first of all, you know, when you love your sport and you, and you know your athletes, you, you, end, you love your athletes, all right? I want to take care of my athletes. Now, I'm not their mom or their dad, but do I feel like a, a surrogate dad sometimes? Yeah, I, I want my guys to be happy. I wanted to enjoy life. You know, the old saying, a happy athlete is a fast athlete. Yeah, he bloody well is. So it's not an ulterior motive, but if I've got a good program, intelligently planned out with good coaches who really care. I mean, what's that other old saying in sport? You know, <clears throat> kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, there's, there's an old bloody truism. So and you can't help yourself when you're a passionate coach and teacher, you cannot help but wanting to take care of your kids. And I don't have to, I'm not a hovercraft uh, or a helicopter or a helicopter coach, but I want their well being is absolutely top of my mind. So if you, so in my office, in my office, I have a big whiteboard and the, the, the top of my whiteboard, are the names of any student athletes that I've got to check into regularly just to make sure things are okay. Now, my ulterior motive, it's not an ulterior motive, is I'm going to get a better performance out of them. That's not driving me. It's part of my responsibility. Um, it's not just part of my responsibility. It's what I want to do. 
Yeah. Feel good. If I'm connecting with my guys and my guys connect with me, I feel good. They feel better. So it's actually something that um, we all have. And we all tune into that because we all want the well-being of our kids. The fact is, when 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 Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp have a happy team, they play better. You don't go about your business as an ulterior motive because people smell that a mile away. It's got to be the core. Of, it's got to be the core of the man. It's who you are. It's who you are coming out. Yeah. Well, Mike, I think on that that's a, a powerful way to end the uh, the conversation. But this time around, anyway. Well, you know, I was saying, you said we're going to come to. We could actually talk all night, not just because we could, but because there's now no one else listening to this bloody podcast because they've fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to drip feed this into like three or four parts, Mike, just to keep people's. Uh, this is a nah, cure. Anyway. This podcast is the new cure for insomnia. Tune in <laughs> <laughs> and wake up, and wake up in the morning to the dulcet tones. Paul yeah, Paris. I might uh, see if I can get this on like Insight Timer Meditation app in the sleep in the sleep area. <laughs> no, look, I think I found the conversation deeply fascinating, and, and and I love your passion and energy you have for coaching, for the sport, and for people in general. Like it's 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 addictive. It's it's great to be around, and it's it's obviously one of the things that's gravitated me towards. And, and, you know, wanting to spend time with you and, and, and have conversations and uh, you've been a, a really powerful influence on my life so thank you for that and um, yeah I really appreciate your time and grateful that you've come onto the Flowcast to share your wisdom and your knowledge and uh, and some fun facts and stories that hopefully people have taken away some valuable information from this that they can employ and sort of deploy into their own uh, mindsets or thoughts or you know little frameworks that you've that you've given that uh, are really powerful if they're embraced and harnessed. So, so thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you. My closing comment is that is that as you know, I don't believe that there are any secrets, and I feel we are all in this together. So, thanks for inviting. Great chat and great seeing you. And um, yeah. let's do it again soon. Absolutely, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you for dialing into the Floatcast. I hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset, check out our flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us, and please feel free to share and subscribe to the Floatcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow and create your own inspired peak performances daily.